morning. Hey, I'm excited to look with you deeper into the story of the advent of our Savior. You guys excited? What a great, what a great morning. What a great opportunity to be together. And we are going to dive into part of the story that you might not have been thinking about yet today. It's not the part of the story that we get to talk about, uh, you know, a lot of times when we're uh, like Christmas morning, we, we talk about specifically Mary and Joseph going into Bethlehem uh, and, you know, the, the manger scene. And I trust that through our songs and all of our other components this morning that we've gotten to do that. But I want to start right at a prophecy from a guy named Zechariah. And this is the Zechariah in the New Testament, and it's in Luke chapter 1. And so let's read that together. It says in verse 67, Then his father Zechariah... Whose father? All right. Some ideas out there. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited us and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the clutches of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from our enemies' clutches, to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness in his presence. All our days. And child, speaking of his son John the Baptist, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of, the, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is Zechariah's prophecy. It predicts both John's purpose in going before Jesus, but also heralds the advent of the coming one. And that's where we're going to focus our attention this morning. Will you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we, we are gathered here in the name of your son Jesus. Many of us who have come to believe and to accept. And Father, we are delighted, God, to be here. We're delighted to be able to open up your word, Lord, and to have you speak to us through your spirit, Lord, and to quicken our hearts to know you more and to be more in love with you and to make sure, God, to, that we are in alignment, God, that we are indeed experiencing all that you have for us. So God, as we open your word, I pray that you would Help us to see, and that you would encourage our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, what is the coolest day? When was? Do you remember the coolest day you've ever had? Your best day ever? See, my son, he hasn't had very many days. He's about six. <laughs> yeah, probably uh, Christmas. Is that what you mean? Yeah, so he hasn't had that many. But I love it when he says, this is the best day ever. And I've heard it a few times. It usually involves a trip to the donut store um, 
or it involves fishing, you know, um, or a trip to Burger King. You know, it, it, it doesn't take much for it to be his best day ever. Uh, and I think that he just forgets all the other days. But it's still fun to hear, you know. But I think that this was maybe Zachariah's best day ever. I mean, this is probably his best day ever. He, it's the eighth day after his son was born. It was the day to come and circumcise his boy. Maybe that's not the best day. But it was also the day to give him his name. It's the day the priest would bless him and his new family. And not only that, this was the first day that he was able to speak for about the last 10 months. God made him not be able to speak. You know, and it's also the day that God filled his mouth with a prophecy that predicts and declares the awesome ministry that his son John is going to have, preparing the hearts of the people for Jesus to come, for the coming Messiah. The Messiah, whom Zechariah promises, will be the dawn from on high, who will shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, and will guide all of them into the way of peace. That's an exciting day. Is it his best day ever? Well, maybe not. He had a pretty memorial day 10 months earlier. Let's check it out, okay? We're going to read the backstory of Zechariah. It starts in verse 5 of the same chapter. In the days of King Herod of Judea. I think Herod liked that name, as an aside. King of the Jewish people. I think almost like king of the Jews, but it was king of Judea. But there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. Now, his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no children. Because Elizabeth could not conceive... And both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. This is his lucky day. In fact, it's probably very likely that he will never have this opportunity again. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. See, there was plenty of priests, and they were in divisions. And so he had to leave his town in the hill country and come down to Jerusalem to serve his duties in there. And among all those that came and all those that were on duty at the time, who's going to go in? Well, they just cast lots. It was like rolling the dice. And it fell on Zechariah to go inside to the holy place. And inside the holy place where you have the table of showbread and you have an altar of incense. On the altar of incense, there was this special, I'm going to say concoction. It was a special formula of incense that was put together. In fact, if, if you tried to copy it, you made this at home. It was, it was like one of those things, don't try this at home because it could get you killed. Like it was God's special Recipe, and it was his incense that they were burning. And he was the one that was invited in, or he was uh, chosen by lot to go into the holy place, or 
Yeah, and to, to burn the incense. What an exciting opportunity. Now at the hour of incense, verse 10, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. And as we know, the incense is, is, is symbolic for the prayers of the saints. And they're all praying outside. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was overcome with fear. Literally, the word is fear came, came down upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while, his, while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. That's exciting. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things have taken place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he was taking so long in the sanctuary. And when he did come out, he could not speak then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. Now, this is kind of funny to me, that he comes out, and there's a crowd there, and he comes out of the sanctuary at last. Everyone turns to look for him. And they're like, that looks like he just saw a ghost, an angel. And then he wants to, and they're like, what were you doing? And he begins, he's like, and, he's, and he can't say anything. And they're like, tell us what happened. And he's like, I can't. And so then he starts making all these signs. And you guys have played charades, right? And I'm wondering, I'm like, what, what did he do? Like, how did he do this? How did he get them to understand? And he's like, at first he's like, <laughs> and, and they're like, you saw a bird. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, oh, he's like, uh, and they're like, oh, halo, it was an angel. It was an angel. You know, how did he get that? How would you have done it? And they're like, wait, you saw an angel? What did he say? And he's like, mm. 
And they're like, okay, okay. You saw an old lady. No, 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 no. Oh, your wife. Oh, okay, your wife. Okay, your wife. What about your wife? <laughs> your wife's pregnant. <laughs> Not yet. Oh, your wife's gonna be pregnant? Well, the days of his ministry ended there at the temple, and his shift was over, and he goes home. And we pick up the story in verse 57. So the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her this great mercy, his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, 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 his name is John. I don't know how that goes down. I mean, how does everybody else decide your kid's name? I mean, they're just like, oh, look at little Zechariah. And she's like, no, 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 his name is John. And they're like, Nobody in your family has the name John. And so they looked to his father. Now, his father by now had, had given up on charades. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John, in cursive. And they were amazed. They were all amazed. Immediately, though, his mouth was open and his tongue was set free. And we're going to see what he says. But he began to speak, praising God. But the result is fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. Everybody was talking about it. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. And that is what I read at first, Zechariah's prophecy about the Messiah. So it's an interesting story. And knowing that he had been silenced for months and months, and then to have his lips released and the Holy Spirit fill him with this prophecy, indeed everyone took notice and hung on his words. And today we're going to explore what he says in the last part of those verses, verses 78 and 79, particularly what he says about Jesus the dawn from on high, and the way of peace. So first we want to look at verse 78 and part of 79. I'm going to read that one more time. And it says, Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. So first we see that he comes as the dawn from on high. As the dawn from on high. And I just want to talk about just three aspects of this, this dawn from on high. First of all, it's motivation. His motivation comes directly from what? It says, because of our God's merciful compassion. It's God's grace. It's his heart of mercy and love and favor. I want to talk about the glorious nature. Second, the glorious nature of the dawn from on high. And this is just a really beautiful metaphor. Can you imagine one of the most beautiful sunrises you've ever seen? Aren't sunrises spectacular? 
Some of you guys never see them because you are, what do they call them, late owls. I'm an early bird. And I love the sunrise. I love seeing the sun even when it's still behind the mountains and it pierces up through the clouds and illuminates the clouds. They're already radiant. It's almost heralding the, the, the sun as it's beginning to come. I love it when the, the rays shoot through the clouds like that and it like breaks apart. It's like, phew. It's beautiful. And that's the picture here that we're given of, of the dawn, Jesus, the dawn, like daybreak, as the light breaks through onto the scene, into the darkness. Secondly, it's effectiveness. As that light breaks through, everything that was dark becomes visible. Everything that was hidden becomes seen. And that's hopeful. The other thing that's so cool about it is this image is that it's the way it rises kind of in your hearts. And I like that it reminds me of one of my favorite passages in 2 Corinthians uh, three and four, talking about when God makes his light shine in our hearts. Much like in Genesis 1 where he said, and God said, let there be light. When suddenly the darkness is just, you know, I did this in my treehouse class the other day. I was talking about the glory of God that shone around about them. Where's that from? When the shepherds, the angels, all appear to the shepherds. They're abiding in their fields by night, and suddenly the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Remember that? Remember those words? And they were terrified, or they were sore afraid. And, and I shined this like light. I took a light that I had, and I shined it in their eyes, and they all went, ah! And the light and the, the glory and its effectiveness at catching the attention of the darkness... And to shine on those who are in the shadow of death. So I like that imagery. It's beautiful. And so then verse 79, we'll look at the rest of the verse. To shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And so secondly, we see that he comes as the way of peace. You know, one of the most beautiful prophecies in the Old Testament I really like is Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, for, un, for a, a child will be born for us, a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. But let's explore this a little bit if we can. I want to explore what is this peace. And so we're going to go that direction. So peace, or shalom, or the Greek way of saying it. In the Old Testament, peace carries the fundamental meaning of welfare, prosperity, or wholeness. I like wholeness, as well as the absence of hostility. We think of peace as simply there's no hostility. But peace in the Old Testament was it's more like wholeness. You know, it was used a bunch of times as a specific greeting. And they, they still do. Modern Jews, they'll, they'll, 
they'll greet each other with shalom, peace be to you. So it's used that way. It shows up about 260 times in the Old Testament. 25 times is a specific greeting. And it's also used as personal well-being. That includes prosperity or bodily health. I want to read Psalm 38.3. There is no health in my body because of your indignation. There's no strength in my bones because of sin. Where's the word shalom in there? It's the word they use to translate health. There's no shalom in my body There's, because of your indignation. There's no strength in my bones because of my sin. Shalom suggests kind of a emotional wellness, like in Proverbs 3.2. Like following the path of wisdom will give you an overall sense of shalom. The wicked, on the other hand, they experience no sense of inner shalom. I want to read Isaiah 59.8. Isaiah 59.8 says, They have not known the path of peace, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made their roads crooked. No one who walks on them will know peace. It's also used to describe positive relations between two parties. Shalom can denote a setting, a positive relationship between friends, parties, or even nations. It's used about 60 times just to point to an absence of strife. There is that aspect. But most significantly, it points to peace with God. So on a spiritual shalom, it can indicate peace with God. In Psalm 85, it says, I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. If God's people keep their minds, this is from Isaiah, if God's people keep their minds focused on him, the Lord will keep them in perfect peace. And on four different occasions in the Old Testament, it's used to talk about a covenant of peace. I want to read a couple of those. Let's look at first. Well, let's look at 1 Kings 2.33. This talks about the peace coming from the Lord. The blood, we have that, their blood will come back on Joab's head and on the head of his descendants forever. But David, his descendants, his dynasty and his throne, there will be peace from the Lord forever. So the Lord is the one who, who brings the peace. He's the foundation of the peace. This peace comes as a result of restored righteousness. Isaiah 32, 17 says, The result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. So these are all just ways of, of gaining an understanding, appreciation for the, the beautifulness of the, this word peace. It's a very powerful and very central word in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace 
was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. So these are all these Old Testament uses of the word peace. So we see it's bigger than just the absence of war. It speaks of a totality, of a completeness, the satisfaction or fullness. Fullness and wholeness. So now with that larger picture of what peace is in the Bible, we can notice that this dawn, the dawn, the advent of the Messiah results in this darkness being exposed and guidance, the illumination into the leading into this way of peace. The way of peace. In fact, Ephesians 2 talks about Jesus is our peace. When the Messiah came in verse Ephesians 2, 17 and 18, it says, When the Messiah came, he proclaimed good news of peace to you who were far and peace to those who were near the good news of peace. What is the good news of peace? And we're going to spend some time just talking about that. And I want, you to, I want you to think, am I experiencing this peace? Is Jesus my prince of peace? And am I experiencing everything that he has for me? Because if you aren't experiencing this peace, I want you to ask yourself, why? Why is my heart not at peace? And why is my heart missing the wholeness and the satisfaction that he seems to have been promising? When do people most often talk about peace? Hmm? Christmas time? During war. When do we most desire peace? When there's conflict. When there's conflict, right? Do you feel like you're longing for peace? I want to read James 4, 1 to 6. What's the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and you don't have. You murder. You covet. You cannot obtain. You fight. You war. You don't have because you don't ask. And you don't, or when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your evil desires. Adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? Friends with the world's ways and their values puts us as enemies of God and his purposes. I see this really as a, as a battle between two kingdoms. On one side, we have our own kingdom. On the other side, there's God's kingdom. So is Jesus your Prince of Peace, your wonderful counselor? The light dawns, shining a light into the little kingdoms of our hearts that we are constructing for ourselves. And as his light exposes, we see that he's, we see what he is building. And we see that what we are building are at odds. What we are building serves ourselves. It protects us. It pleases us. It keeps us comfortable. The more we think that we have it secured, the more anxious we feel about it. 
all the more focus on it. All the more time we need to keep investing into it to make sure it keeps giving us what we need from it. It can take a lot of different forms. But each one of us has our own kingdom. Kingdom is what makes you feel secure, provided for, happy. So there's a battle between these two kingdoms, the two kingdoms, and the way of peace with God. The way of peace with God is through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. See, this battle, this fight that's going on, there are cravings at war within us. There's a friendship with the world that we have kindled. And the Bible says it makes us hostile towards God. It makes us his enemies. But Jesus' way of peace was to give up all of his power. We look at Jesus, and he gave up the glory, the authority, the position. He came as a child, infant, and lowly to enter into this darkness and to shine his light. He really came. He really came as a baby. And he walked this earth. He spoke of his kingdom, and he healed, and he released, and he challenged the leaders, and he, he demonstrated how to live out the great commandments. He, he did it. He demonstrated what it looks like to seek first God's kingdom. And he wants you to recognize his light as a better way forward. Look. Look into the light. See the light. It's wisdom. It's wholeness. In Romans 5, it says, For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. And the, the right time was the time when you were still ugly. When you were still ungodly, it's not when you had created yourself up. It's not when you had pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not when you had figured it out. Rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will, be, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. So your sins are war against the Lord's purposes and his kingdom that he's trying to establish. And there's a point where we have to repent. And he offers us forgiveness for all our hostilities against him and offers us life. See, the way of peace is to acknowledge Jesus as king. Who is the king? The battle for the kingdom rages on. And as he offers himself in the midst of the battle, like a, like a glorious ray of morning light, like hope, promising the glorious 
fullness of life in him. Like the dawn promises the full day, the heat of the afternoon sun, Christ comes and he promises you life, life to the full. If you will just acknowledge him as king. The battle, it rages on inside us while he holds out his hands offering us peace. The peace of a tender, loving God who can take up your pain, who can clean out, who can clean out and he can heal your wounds, who can release you, who can release you from your guilt and your, the shame that you feel, who can take that attitude of yours and who can offer you true newness. He can take your broken relationships and guide your feet into the way of peace. He shows us the way. Let him lead. Do you see his glory? The way of peace is found in being securely in the forever kingdom of our compassionate and sovereign God. When we are willing to let go of our kingdom and ex embrace his kingdom, there's a lot we can let go of when we recognize his compassion. He came out of compassion and love. And when we embrace his sovereignty, that he's got it figured out. He's got you in his hands. You're in his care. He can protect. He can provide. He can fill you with life abundant. When you accept Christ as king, something amazing happens. In Colossians chapter 1, talks about us being transferred from our kingdom to his kingdom. Colossians chapter 1. It starts in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Verse 13. Colossians 1. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have a new kingdom. The way of peace is being found securely in His forever kingdom. The kingdom of a compassionate and sovereign God. So, praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. And maybe today that you've recognized, you know what? Maybe my kingdom has been at odds with God's kingdom. 
Maybe you've recognized your purposes have been in conflict with his purposes. And I just want to encourage yourself this morning to offer yourself to him. Because he can show you the light and he can usher you into his peace. The way of peace. This whole year we've been talking about love first. And Jesus, for Jesus, the way of peace was love first. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his only, his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And why not rejoice in God? Because... What we look forward to is not God's wrath upon those who are disobedient, but instead we look forward to the revealing of his glory when we finally see him for who he is. Faith is no longer involved. We will know it and we will see it. So will you make your peace with God today? Will you give up your control to trust his compassion and his sovereignty and let his kingdom come in your heart. May you know his peace. See, Jesus becomes your prince of peace on the day you accept him as king. When you are transferred into his kingdom and you begin to live this way, in his way, the way of peace. You know, this truly could be your best day ever. The day that you give Jesus the keys to your kingdom. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize, God, that you are glorious. And we thank you that your Son was willing to come as the dawn from on high to bring illumination and understanding, God, and sometimes, sometimes those that are stuck in the darkness didn't even know there's a better way. But Lord, indeed that their eyes are needing your spirit to open them, God. To see you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would use your promise of peace to call, to draw us towards you. I pray that you would use our experience with peace, whether it's not what we're, whether we're not experiencing it like we should, or we've let go of your ways to pursue our own, our own kingdom. God, I, I pray that your peace, either it's absence or the experience of it, that it would pull us toward you. Lord, and we thank you for what you have done and how you've made a way. We thank you, God, for sending your Son. I pray that we could praise you now and we could glorify you and we could know you for who you are. 
and we will worship you appropriately. appropriately. In your name we pray. Amen.